Hey, so I want to ask you a question this morning, something for you to think about. How do you define a win? What does it look like for you in your life to have a win, right? I mean, I, I think it's probably changed a little bit. If we were to go back like a year ago, you may have defined a win really differently than you would today. Like a year ago, you may have been said, man, it's like a huge bonus, right? A huge bonus on my check or my business is doing really well. It's thriving. Yay. That's really good. And so we're going to get the whole family and some friends together and we're going to go to Disneyland to celebrate, right? I mean, that might have been a win or maybe for some others it would be like, man, I just got tickets to my favorite band. We're going to a concert. You know, it's like a win might have felt like something like that. Today, it's probably really different. You know, as we think about what is a win, we may think of things in terms like this. Well, at least I still have a job. My house hasn't burned down. And, and you know what? This was amazing. It was such a win. I got to actually figure out a way to have coffee with a friend. And neither of us got sick. Yes. We're defining wins, I think, very differently than we did in seasons past. But even when I said what we may think is a win for us today, we know that there are others who have lost their jobs, who have lost their homes, and who are dealing with sickness in their bodies today. It's very different, a very different time and a very different season we have to ask this question, what does a win look like? What is success for our lives today and going forward? And what does God say about what a win might look like for you and for me? So in this past season, I've been thinking about this, and as I've been meditating on this, God has drawn my heart to a particular letter that was written about 2,000 years ago. It was a letter written to a group of people, followers of Jesus, much like us, who were living in the city of Philippi. This letter was written by the apostle Paul to the church there in the city of Philippi. And it was written at a time when Paul was actually in prison, like for sharing his faith. He was imprisoned in the city of Rome, and while he was there, he wrote this letter. It's, like, it's probably likely that no one would have thought that the Apostle Paul at that moment was winning, right? Nobody would have thought, like, oh, what a winner, right? No, he was preaching the, his, the faith, and he was thrown into prison because of that. But as he awaited his opportunity to appeal his case before Caesar knowing that it may cost him his life. In fact, it did. But while he was awaiting to go before Caesar, he wrote some letters, and one of these letters was to the church in Philippi. It is this very loving and fatherly kind of letter that he wrote. In fact, if you read these letters, this is one letter where he wasn't correcting a whole lot of stuff that was going wrong, a little bit, but not much. Most of it is like this loving, fatherly kind of instruction to his dear friends. 
You see, Paul had actually started this church in Philippi about 12 years before. And so now, as he's in prison, facing an uncertain future, he's writing to these people that he loved very deeply, people he had invested time in, people he knew personally, he knew their names, he knew what they looked like, he'd eaten around their tables, right, and shared the gospel with them. And now 12 years later, here he is in prison, not knowing if he's ever going to see them again. And he writes this letter. God has drawn my heart here to this letter, the letter of Philippians. And it's what we're going to be spending time in over the fall season. We're going to probably take this conversation in Philippians right up through the beginning of Christmas time. So I want you to spend some time in this book along with me. You may want to read it, and you may want to reread it and reread it again over these next couple of months. It's a great way to get into the Word is to just read and reread and see what God will show you. But this is where our conversations are going to be in this series the Word is calling Positively. Today, we're talking about positively winning. So Paul addresses a number of things in this letter to his friends that in a normal human perspective, we would look at and go, ooh, that did not sound very positive, Paul. In fact, in human terms, the way we would normally look at things, we would say, those sound really negative. I mean, those sound pretty awful, pretty terrible. But they, God was showing Paul that no, these things are actually positive things. And I think that in this moment of our history, that is really important for us to consider. Because if we were to look at 2020, man, all we probably would look at is a whole long list of some pretty dramatically challenging negative things from a human perspective. And yet God is saying I want you to take a, a new look. I want you to look at these things all over with fresh eyes. And so I want to take you to a statement that I believe was not only on point for people 2,000 years ago in the city of Philippi. I believe this is a prophetic statement for right now and for us. And it's found in the first chapter. It's verse 27 of Philippians. Philippians 1:27, And this is what Paul writes. He says, whatever happens. Would you say those words? Whatever happens. Come on, say it again like you mean it. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. No, no matter what happens, here's what I want you to remember Conduct yourself, like live your life for Jesus in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I want you to, I want you to do a little responsive thing here with me, okay? Because we're going to kind of spend a little bit of time in this verse and think about it. Whatever happens, Paul is saying like no matter what, live for Jesus, okay? Everybody say live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. One more time, a little louder. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw out some different scenarios, the like the kind of like the whatever happens kind of things. You're going to respond back to me in the courtyard. I want to hear you. Online, I want to hear you. You're going to be so loud. You're going to say, live for Jesus, okay, after each of these little statements. If people like me 
or they don't. For Jesus. If I have a great job or I'm on unemployment, live for Jesus. If I'm healthy or I'm not, live for Jesus. If my kids are making great life decisions or not, live for Jesus. If the stock market is up or down, live for Jesus. If the church stays open or we have to close again, live for Jesus. If my choice for president wins or loses, live for Jesus. Paul says this, he says, whatever happens, no matter what, my friends, I want you to pay attention. This is the game plan. There's no other game plan. We're gonna keep living for Jesus no matter what happens. And he says, conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. What is he saying there? Well, we could probably imagine there's a whole lot of ways to live that are unworthy of the gospel. But he says, now I want you to pay attention to this, to live worthy lives, worthy of the gospel. He, what he's saying is that each one of us who is a follower of Jesus, our lives have been like dramatically redefined and reshaped by the gospel of Jesus. Like my life has been redeemed by Jesus. Like I, I, I've received his grace when I didn't deserve it. He has saved me from certain death and has guaranteed my life forever in him because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then he rose in power. And he says this, he says, the very same power that rose me from the dead, I now give to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So what he's saying is this, our lives have been completely redefined by the gospel of Jesus. We need to live like it. We need to remember that we're gospel people. We're like gospel people. Our lives reshaped, redefined, rewritten. Our stories have been rewritten, imprinted with the grace, the power, the truth of the gospel. Is that good? So live like it, Paul writes, whatever happens. Now, right before he says these words in verse 27, like whatever happens, right before this, he's given three different examples from his own personal story. And we're going to take a look at those three little examples that he gives leading up to these words, whatever happens. Because I believe that Paul is doing something by giving these three examples that actually is saying that not only should we live this way as gospel people living for Jesus no matter what happens, but he's, not, he's saying not only should we live this way, he's saying you can live this way. Your lives can be so dramatically impacted by the gospel that you can actually live for Jesus no matter what happens. But I think there are two different things that we're going to see in these three examples that he gives from his own life that are really, really key to understanding verse 27, the whatever happens passage. But also these are keys 
for this entire series that we're going to be looking at through the book of Philippians. Through this whole series, we're going to be seeing these two realities over and over and over again. So I want you to like hear them, and then we're going to see them over and over again over uh, this message today and also through these next couple of months. He gives to his friends what I believe are two imperatives for gospel people. Two imperatives, like, hey, to be gospel people who can live for Jesus no matter what, here are two things that you need to know. Number one is this, that we need to see with new perspective. We need to, like, see things in a new way. Like, we know what it is to see out of our natural eyes, and we, need to, we, we know how to spot things that look good to us or look really bad to us. But God is inviting us to see through his eyes. It's kind of to see with this, through these gospel lenses. We need to see things in new ways, with new perspective. And then here's the second thing that I believe that is an imperative that Paul is talking about to his friends. He's saying not only do you need to see with a new perspective, but you need to redefine your win. What does winning look like to me? What does success look like to you? You know, and like I said, we are probably defining that maybe a little differently today than we did a year ago. But as we think about what is success, what is winning, Paul says in these examples, and we're going to see through this entire book, that when we begin to see things differently, we'll begin to redefine what a win looks like. So you ready to dive in? You ready? Here we go. So we're just going to back up a little bit from verse 27. We're going to look at these three examples that Paul gave from his life. And I promise you, you're going to think that he was writing from the year 2020. Because of things going on in his life, yeah, okay, I can relate to this guy because of what he was going through. Okay, so we're going to pick up. The first example he begins in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Philippians. And this is what Paul says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now just hold on just for a second right there. Where was Paul? He was in prison in Rome. And he says these words. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually Actually, it served to advance the gospel. And then he goes on and he says, as a result, check out what's been happening. It's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, right? It's like the secret service for Caesar, right? This is like, this is the big wig. I mean, like these are really influential law enforcement officers, right, throughout the whole palace, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, check this out, not in spite of my chains, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
So Paul is like saying, he's saying like, actually, I love that word. Because I don't know how you look at this, but actually, Paul is saying, this whole prison thing has served to advance the gospel. The purposes of God are not being stopped because I'm in prison. Seeing with a new perspective. Seeing things through this gospel lens of like, wow, look what God is actually up to here. Paul was telling his friends, I'm seeing things in a new way. Hey, I get it. It ain't normal. This, this like probably sounds a little strange to you because, hey, we all see things through our human perspective. But instead of getting bummed out and bitterly angry and frustrated about my situation, this is the way I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it with this gospel perspective that God is actually up to something good in my story. God is up to something good. Because I'm in prison, others are becoming more confident in proclaiming this gospel story of Jesus. Other people are going to hear the news of Jesus. And it's not in spite of my chains. It's actually because I'm in prison that these amazing things are happening. Paul was taking something that was hugely negative in in a human perspective. But seeing it through God's eyes as something hopeful and positive, he was able to redefine his win. He was able to redefine what true success looks like as a follower of Christ. I'm in prison and I'm winning. If I can win here, then guess what? There's no stopping me because whatever happens, Whatever happens, I can conduct my life in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Are you following? Are you catching what he's throwing down here? So then he gets to the next example. And it's in the very next passage. It starts in verse 15 of Philippians chapter 1. And he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, those who are preaching out of, out of goodwill and love, they know that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, the former, those, those people who are like preaching out of rivalry, uh, you know, and, and, and envy, he says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. What they're doing is they're supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains, but what does it matter, he said. I love this. I mean, like, think, think about this here for a moment. Well, there were people out in the streets of Rome who were preaching, some who, like, loved Paul and were, like, man, communicating the true gospel. But then there was this other group. Now, it doesn't say, like, who this other group was, but we have some clues. In the beginning of chapter 3, when you read that, you'll, you'll get a big clue of who this might have been. But if you recall, like we've just finished up a series in the book of Acts. And one of the things that we talked about in chapter 15 is there was this group of people who were beginning to figure out how to follow Christ. But what they were doing, unfortunately, is they were dragging the old covenant into the new covenant. 
They were people who were saying, hey, if you want to follow God and if you want to have God's favor, you have to obey and follow to the letter of the law all of the old rules and regulations for the Israelites, right? Everything we read about in the Old Testament, you still have to keep doing right now. Got to be circumcised, all you guys. You've you got to, you know, tie the certain way. You've got to, all of these different things, they were saying, you must still do them. And Paul is like, hey, no, it's by grace. It's by grace that you've been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. And they were like, they were like tension in their heart. They were ticked off. They did not like Paul, even though they were saying, hey, we're Christ followers. They didn't all get along with Paul, right? So they were out there stirring up trouble for Paul, hoping it was actually going to make it worse on him on, on the inside. So Paul says they're wrong. But here, here's, what, here's what we see, though. Again, Paul does not see this as negative. People are up there stirring up trouble for him, and he says this. But what does it matter? He says, he says in the latter part of that verse, the, what, here's what really matters, that Christ is being preached. Christ is being preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul is in prison. People are out there making trouble for him, and he says, I can rejoice. This is a win. Why? Because Christ is being preached. Jesus' name is being lifted up, whether they're doing it out of good motives or bad. What does it matter? Paul, I think I could come up with a whole list of reasons why it would matter if people were trying to stir up trouble for me while I was in prison. But Paul is seeing in a new way and is redefining a win. Then he gets to the third of these life examples. I mean, prison, number one, people stirring up trouble for me, number two. What could be worse than that? Well, let's get to the next example from his life. And it starts in verse 19. And he says this, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, prison and trouble, will turn out for my, what? Deliverance. These things are going to turn out for my deliverance. And we would all say, yes, Paul, we're agreeing with you, bro. We're praying for that deliverance. But I want you to see what he says next. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have what? Sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, but to die is winning. So I want you to see what he says here. I want you to see the connection. He says, I really believe that all of this that has happened is gonna lead to what? My deliverance. I'm gonna be like set free from all of this. But then how does he say that he's gonna be set free? 
It may be by life, or I may be delivered through death. But he says, it's all good. This either way is winning. It's like, it's a win-win. If I live, it's for Christ. And if you read those next verses, he says, if I live, man, it's going to be for you. I'm going to like work double time in order to serve you and to work for your fruitfulness in your life. But he says, it would be far better to die. Why? Because I'm going to be with Jesus. All of this earthly trouble is going to be behind. I'm going to get delivered. Now, it's either going to be through life or through death. Now, this is amazing because I think most of us, even people who follow Jesus, given our lives to him, we can quote John 3, 16, right? That God loved me so much that he gave his son. Why? So that all who believe in him, so that when I put my trust in him, that I can have eternal life. We believe this. This is the core of what we believe as followers of Jesus, that we have eternal life waiting for us with Jesus. It's his promise. And in that we have hope. But check this out. A lot of us, when we think about death, we don't think about it as deliverance from this place to get us to our, that eternal rest with Jesus. We think of it as like the end of everything that's good. And Paul is redefining things for us. He's seeing things like clearly. Maybe prison helps you see things really clearly. Maybe a global pandemic might slow us down enough that we would actually begin to say, Jesus, I want to see things the way you do. God, I want to reorient my life. I want to like reestablish things in my life that I used to think were a win. Maybe, maybe they really weren't all that important. Maybe the bonus, maybe Disneyland, maybe going to the concert, maybe hanging out with 100 friends. It was cool. I mean, nothing wrong with any of those things. But I don't know if I want to define my life anymore by those things and consider those the wins. Maybe that's like a little icing on the, on the cake, but I want the cake. Like, I, want, I want something that's real. And God, you're showing me that there's actually new ways to look at life and even death. That I no longer need to live in fear, but I would, like Paul says, I just want to like have courage to walk this out. I want to have courage to secure the win that God has, is giving me. And so all of this perspective that he is sharing in these three examples, he's showing us that like, hey, we've got to look at life in a new way. And we have to redefine, friends, what it means to actually succeed and to win. And it's at the end of these three examples that he gets to verse 27. Prison, trouble, and even potentially death. And Paul did die in prison. Then he gets to verse 27, and what does he say? He says this, friends, whatever happens, whatever happens. Like if, if I've been living in this situation 
I want you to take your story and realize that, that, that if I have figured these things out, you can too. That whatever happens in your story, that here's how you can live. You can live in a way that is actually worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens. And listen, I, I'm not making light in that. I know that there are people in my circle of relationship and, and some right here in our church family who have had COVID-19. I have people that I know that have died. We have family members in our extended family that right now are sick with COVID. I have uh, extended family that has already gotten well but now has lingering life issues because of, of the, listen, I know this is dire. I'm not making light of any of this. But we also have to take seriously and literally what Paul is saying here. And this is a man who knew all of these realities. He knew what it was like, like to have his freedom taken from him. He knew what it was like to have people out to get him right? Wanting to stir up trouble. People, not everybody liked him. He was being persecuted. Prison, persecution, and now facing potential death. He gets it. But into that reality, he speaks these words, whatever happens, no matter what happens, we can live for Jesus. Lives that are worthy of this gospel that has shaped our lives. How do we win? We win as we see things through God's perspective and we redefine what that looks like to succeed. And we can have confidence in this. We win because Jesus already won. He already won. By going to the cross and by raising from the dead, Guess what? There is nothing, there is nothing that is too hard for him. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray, Lord, that as we look at these scriptures, Lord, that our lives would become impacted Lord, by the power and the truth of your word. And Lord, no matter what situation that we are facing in this moment, whatever happens, no matter what, that we can be confident in you. The unchanging, all-loving, all-powerful, awesome God. Lord, our confidence is in you, not in our situation and not in our own ability. God, thank you for that truth and thank you for that power. God, I pray that you would help us redefine things and to see things in new ways, Lord, that are gonna be powerful and important, Lord, for this season and now which we're walking. Lord, in 2020, that's where you have called us for such a time as this. And so, Lord, we need to redefine some things and see things in a new light. And I ask that you would open our eyes to that by your spirit. And friends, if there is any who are here or any that are even watching online 
who are like, you know what, I, I don't know that if I have ever actually submitted myself to the Lordship of Jesus. I don't know that I'm following the same God that Paul was following. I, I don't know that if I could say the same things that Paul was saying. Well, it starts with this. It starts by simply saying yes to Jesus, to his offer for you, that because of his love, that he came, that he died for you, that forever, that your life could be shaped by that good news, that all of your sin, all of the shame, all the guilt, all the brokenness of your life, everything from the past, washed clean forever. And that life in him is not only while we live on this earth, but it is life eternal. It is for a forever life that is promised to you and to me. And if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, yes, I need that. Yes, I want that. God, I, I will give my life over to you to be a recipient of your grace and your mercy and your love. It really is quite simple because it just begins with a yes. Yes, Jesus, I receive. And if there's any that are here, if there's any that are in the courtyard, if there's any online right now, I just ask, would you say yes to Jesus? Maybe you've said yes to him a long time ago, but things in life have gotten really complicated and different. Maybe you need to say yes to him again. Or maybe this is the very first time that you've ever uttered the words, Jesus, I say yes to you. I say yes to your promise. So if there's anyone here, if there's anyone in the courtyard, if there's anyone online, if right now you would just want to say yes to him, I just, just you can just wave, you can just... Yeah, and if you're online, yes, praise the Lord. God hears your yes. And if you're online, we have online pastors right now, and you can just type in the words yes. They're going to connect with you. They're going to reach out because there's information that we have that we would love to give you. To just How do I keep saying yes to Jesus? God, we love you. We are grateful for you. Thank you, Lord, that our wins are found in you. In Jesus' name, we'll see you again next week, church. You are.